You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killian. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope, and uh, today I stand before you not as short hair Zach or Wolverine hair Zach, but regular hair Zach. So it's nice to see all of you. Um, but seriously, thank you uh, to Andrea for being nice to a big dummy like me and saying nice things. That's kind of cool. Um, today we're talking about Romans three twenty one through twenty two, but um, we kind of need to talk about Romans 1, 16 through 17 first. Um, Randy gave us the Randy Spate version last week, the RSV, as I like to call it. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power to save everyone who believes. First, the Jews believed, then the Gentiles. For God revealed his solution to the sin problem based on his son's faithfulness for all those who have believed in him. Like it is written, the one who is justified by faith will live. The reason we're talking about that uh, to start off is everything Paul's talking about in 321 through 26 is really building on that argument that he started to build in 116 through 17. And before we get going here, I want to say that like at first glance, you can read this that quick and just be like, okay, great, awesome. But when you really start to break this down, this passage we're about to go through there's a lot to it, and we've got to unpack that. And I have done that with the help of a really great commentary by uh, Great House. I have listened to several Mike Winger teachings on this, and I think they've both got some really great insights. So I'm going to steal some stuff from them. That's why I'm saying that up front. Uh, but they, they, uh, they did a really good job unpacking it, and I'm going to add a few things of my own. But we're going to do that verse by verse, or a couple verses at a time. And we're going to start with Romans 3, 21 and 22. It says this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. What does that mean? Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. We saw the righteousness of God reflected in the law, but now apart from the law, it's being made known. Okay, he goes on to say that this is all testified by the law and the prophets. Okay, well, what's that mean? Well, I got a little letter in the mail uh, two weeks ago, and I've been requested to to serve for jury duty. Okay, you can all be sad for me. Pray for me, please. Um, November 30th, I get to go sit and be on jury duty. It was actually in the middle of our honeymoon, and I had to switch it. It wasn't good. But uh, it's yeah, it's November 30th now, so that's cool. But I'm going to have to go, and I'm going to sit in a courtroom, and I'm probably going to sit in a little panel with other jurors, and there's going to be a case laid out by a judge because somebody has supposedly broken some law. And then what we may have are witnesses. Now, what a witness is going to do is say the guy is in trouble because he has supposedly stolen a candy bar. The witness will come in and say, yeah, 
I saw that guy steal that candy bar at this time of day. He was wearing this. It totally happened. Or, no way, I was there. He came in. He was nice as could be. He didn't steal a candy bar, okay? The witness is going to testify to something. And so that's what this is. This is kind of a courtroom scenario that Paul's laying out for us. That the law and the prophets testify that they are witnesses. And what are they witnesses of? They're witnesses of a couple of things. They're witnesses of one, our guilt, that we stand before a holy and perfect judge and we are guilty. That's the first thing they testify to. The second thing they testify to is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, you may be asking, well, how? How do they do that? Like, how do you even know that? Like, what is the law? What, what are the prophets? Well, when you say the law and the prophets, that's a really simplistic way of saying the Old Testament. It's breaking it down and saying, well, here's what the Old Testament is. The Old Testament is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the law, and then you got some historical books and the prophets. It's the law and the prophets. And you got to think, in Jesus' day, there isn't an Old Testament and a New Testament. It's just the Holy Scriptures, the law and the prophets. And so when we say the law and the prophets, and when Paul says the law and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament what we would call the Old Testament. And he's saying that it is a witness to Christ's righteousness and our guilt. And so how? In what ways is it, is it a witness? I think the first one's kind of easy. We have to take a step back and look at like the 30,000 foot view, right? What is the Old Testament showing us over and over and over again? Well, it shows us that we're in need of a savior, right? That the Messiah has to come. In fact, when you read the Babylonian Talmud, which is not a biblical book, but it's a historical book. It shows us where people at that time and place where their heads were at. And in the Babylonian Talmud, it says that all of the prophets were talking about the coming of the Messiah, that that's what the prophets were talking about. And so we see this all through the Old Testament. We got do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. There's all these do's, but there's never a doer, right? We keep waiting for the one person that can finally hold it all together, that can actually uphold the law of God, and it just never happens. It just never happens. Randy talked about that last week in his sermon. We just keep getting to the new main character. You know, it starts with Adam and Eve, and then we're with Noah, and then we're with Abraham, and then we're with David eventually, and they all fall short, no matter how high our expectations, until Christ. And so what does that show you? We're all guilty. We've all failed the law. Only one is righteous. Only one has upheld the law. That's Jesus Christ, right? That's the first way it does it. The second way that it, it witnesses is through direct prophecies about Jesus. I think about Isaiah 53. That whole chapter is the chapter on the suffering servant. When you read it, it talks about a man that there's nothing special about him. He's just a man. He's, he's not really anything to look at. He's just some guy right? But that man, he'll, he'll be crushed for our iniquities, that he'll be pierced for our transgressions, that God will put all sin on that man and he will die for us, that he'll be led like a, a lamb to the slaughter to die on behalf of our sins. Now, if I just read that to you, if I just went through that whole chapter and read it, you'd be like, did Paul write this? Because it seems like somebody reflecting back on the crucifixion of Jesus, but it's not. It's from way before Jesus is ever born. But it's prophesying 
that a man is going to come and do this, and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. There's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that do just that. That's one of them, and we don't have time to talk about all of them. But there are hundreds, and they all point to Jesus. We also see pictures of Christ. They're maybe not direct prophecies, but they're these kind of like shadows of Christ. And maybe we didn't even realize it when we're reading it in the Old Testament, but Jesus shows us, oh, that's what that meant. Like I think about uh, in the desert, after Moses has, has gotten uh, the Jews out of Egypt, they're in the desert and there are these serpents. These serpents come along and it says fiery serpents, they're poisonous. And when they bite people, they're, they're hurting people. And God says, fashion a bronze serpent and raise it up on a stick. And all who look to that serpent will be healed and they won't be afraid. Well, what's that sound like? What's a serpent? Well, a serpent is a symbol for what? Sin and death, right? Think Old Testament. Who tempts Adam and Eve in the garden? The serpent, right? And now Jesus, or God is saying, put a serpent on a stick and raise it up and all who see it will be healed? Well, what happens to Jesus? God takes his own son and he puts him on a stick and he raises him up. And on his son, he lays a serpent. He lays the sin of all mankind on his son. And all who look to the son in faith will be healed and they will not fear death. It's Jesus in the Old Testament. It's a picture of Jesus. Not only that, think about Jonah. Jonah goes into the belly of the fish for three days and then he's spit up on dry land. The son of God, Jesus Christ, swallowed into the belly of death for three days and then he raises from the dead because death can't hold him. It's Jesus all through the Old Testament. And so what Paul is saying here is the Old Testament is very clear that over and over and over again, it's giving you all this criteria to look for and who your Messiah is. This isn't John Smith. This isn't Muhammad. This isn't just some guy making a claim out of nowhere. This is Jesus Christ. And he fits all the criteria of the Old Testament. He's our guy. He's our man. It's pointing to this, right? And that's what Paul's trying to point out to us. So that's the first thing he's saying. But if we go on, we go to Romans 3, 23 through 24. He says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. What's that mean? It means we're all really bad people. <laughs> we like to think we're good people, Paul's saying, no, you're not. You're all really bad people. So let's just get that out of the way. Not one of you is good. Not one of you is righteous. All have sinned. All have fallen short of God's standard. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so he's saying, you are justified freely. Justification, big churchy word. What's that mean? It means that you're made just right? It comes from the word justice, right? Just, justified, justice. The idea that if you do something wrong, then it has to be made right. Or you have maintained being right. But if you're just, it means you have a deep sense of justice, that you are made right, that you are made whole. Think of it like this. Say you've killed someone, you've robbed people, you've stolen, you've whatever. And you stand before a judge and the judge looks at you and says, hey, this is your record. 
And because of your record, you deserve this much jail time. You deserve the death penalty. So we're going to put you on death row. All that needs to happen. But tell you what, I'm just going to go ahead and wipe that slate clean. You're good. And you didn't do anything to deserve it. You don't deserve it. You're just good. You're just made right now. So you can go. That's what's happening here with the term justification. You are legally made right before God. And it's done freely. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. So the question is, how is this possible? Why? What, what happened that we're justified? Well, it says, through redemption by Jesus Christ. Well, we're on to another big churchy word, and you're going to notice we have a few of those today. What's redemption? What's that mean? What's it mean to be redeemed? I hear that all the time. I've probably even said it, but what's that mean? It means you were a slave. It means that you sold yourself as a slave to sin. That maybe it was for power, maybe it was for pleasure, maybe it was for status, whatever. We have all sold ourselves to sin, and we are slaves to sin. And Jesus comes along, and he says, here's the price for that one. He is mine now. And then he looks at you, and he says, you can go free. You're free. You're no longer a slave to sin. You've been redeemed. You have been bought. I have paid the price on your head. You're good. Go ahead. You're free. That's what it means to be redeemed. And that has happened through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He set you free. Paul goes on, Romans 3, 25 through 26. He says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That's a lot to unpack. That's wordy. That's a mouthful. It's really easy. Like, man, I have to read over passages like that over and over and over again before they really click. So what is that talking about? It's the sacrificial system. It's the Old Testament. We think back to the Jews. God set up a system for his people Israel, the Jews, that when they sinned, they were to go make a sacrifice to God for that sin. Because God was trying to show Israel that sin brings death. That the, the penalty, the wage, the price for sin is death. And so over and over and over again, Israel, these, these, these Israelites, these Jews would bring these sacrifices and they would drag it out to the altar and they would bring it before the priest of God and they would put it on this, on this altar and it would be sacrificed. And that animal's blood was shed for that person's sin. But the problem is that didn't work. It didn't really save them because the law was never meant to save us. The law was meant to show us our need for a savior. The life of an animal is never going to be worth the life of a man. How can an animal's blood pay for my sin? That doesn't make sense. But it shows me the importance of sin. That sin made that poor innocent animal die. 
because of my selfishness, my inward focus caused that animal to die. That's what God's trying to make people understand. And so the question is, why? Why does that have to happen? Why does there have to be a sacrifice for sin? Why can't God just say, well, let's just not do that. Let's just not make anybody pay for their sins. We'll just say, you're good. Everybody, everybody's good. Don't worry about it. Remember I talked about the judge earlier, how the judge has the ability to look at you and just go, ah, you don't have to serve that. It's cool. Well, God could do that, but then he wouldn't be very just, would he? See, think about it. If we had a, a judicial system, if all of our courts were headed up by these judges, that every time somebody had committed a crime, they walk in and the judge is like, ah, don't worry about it. Get out of here. You're good. What does, that, what does that do? That's not just. That's not justice. That's not right. I mean, I'm sure the criminal's very happy about it, but it's not right. And God is infinitely just. He's infinitely right. So he can't not do this. Somebody's got to pay. So the question is, who's going to pay? And the answer is Jesus Christ. You see, God, he held back his wrath on us. That's what it says. It uses that big fancy word forbearance. What that means is God in his patience withheld his wrath from us. Because he would have been completely right. He would have been completely justified had the first time any of us sinned, he just went, bam, and you're dead. <laughs> that would be fine. He can do that because we're the bad guy in this story. And he's the only good guy in this story. And he'd be completely right. In, in killing us the moment we sin, but he didn't because he loves us. He was patient with us, and so he holds back his wrath. Earlier in Romans, it, it almost sounds like he's storing that wrath up. He's, he's, he's putting it away for a later time. So what's he do? He pours out that wrath on his son to spare us. So he's just, and he's the justifier. What's that mean? How can he be both? He's just, right? We just said justice means we're sinners. We deserve to die. Every single one of us deserves death because of our sin. And so God, to be just, would have to kill all of us. But then on the other hand, it says, but he's the justifier which means he makes us right and he wipes our slates clean and he says, you've been made righteous before me. You're good. How can he do both? Jesus Christ. That's the answer. That's why Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die to make us right. Because had Jesus not died, God would be forced to be only just. There would be no option to justify. Because had he made us right, nobody would have ever paid the price and he wouldn't really be just. You see what I'm saying? It's a, it's a problem. Jesus had to die. So then the question is this, and this is the big one. This is the big question. I've asked myself this question so many times growing up. I never clicked with me. I could never understand like what it was about the death of Jesus that made us right. Like what was it about the death of God that like, fixed us? That's a huge question. 
And I recently heard Paul Washer talking about this. He's a, he's a pastor. And he said, you know, people have asked me, like, what is it that the death of that one man saved every man that had ever lived and that would ever live, that made them right with God, every man that had ever lived, every man that would ever live? How? Why that? Why his death? And Paul Washer said, because that one man was God. He said that that's the only way it makes sense. He said that the life of that one man is infinitely more valuable than all the lives of all men ever combined. That if you took every person that has ever lived and that will ever live and you add that all together and you see the value of those people, if you add that all up and set it next to Jesus Christ, there is no comparison. He is infinitely valuable, and we are not. But he makes us right because he loves us. The infinitely valuable God did a whole bunch for us. You see, we were guilty. We were on trial. That's the first thing Paul's telling us. You stood in front of the God of the universe, the ultimate judge, and you were guilty and you deserved death. And he said, and you sold yourselves as slaves to sin out of your own greed, out of your own personal pursuits. You gave your life away to the devil. And he said, and you were like an animal being drugged to the slaughter to be put down. It's like God himself had his hand around your neck, taking you to the altar because you had to be put down because that's what you deserve. But the infinitely valuable Jesus Christ stepped in on your behalf and he stood between you and the judge. And he said, no, 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 I'll take his sentence. Give me his sentence. Let him go free. And he goes, he goes to death. He goes to sin. He goes to Satan. And he says, you owned this person. They were your slave, but I've paid the price. Here you go. They're mine now. And then he turns to you and he says, go free. Jesus Christ walks to you as you're being drug away by God himself to be put down on the altar as the sacrifice that you've declared yourself to be. And Jesus gently takes the Father's hand off of your neck and he places it on his own. And he is drug away to the slaughter on your behalf. That's what Jesus did. He said, you don't have to be guilty. You don't have to be a slave. You don't have to be dead. You don't have to die. You can be innocent and you can be free and you can live not just in forever, but today you can live. And do you know what you have to do to accept that gift? Nothing. You just got to have faith. You got to believe it. And you really got to believe it. You can't just say you believe it. But you got to believe it. That's it. No strings attached. It's not like God gives you this gift and says, now you got to maintain it, okay? Because like now you're on this sliding scale. Oh, you sinned. Oh, now you're down two notches. You better, you better do something to get it back up right. Oh, nope, nope. It's not that. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. The work is done forever. You can't earn it. 
Nothing you do can make it right. You can't maintain it. You'll fail every day. That's what we do. But you have been made right with God. And people that truly put their faith in Jesus Christ change. When it talks about works in the Bible, it says we can't buy our faith, but if we truly believe, we're going to start seeing those works pop up. Because people that love people do nice things. That's what it's about. So the question to you today is, if this is what Jesus Christ did, and if this is what his gift means, will you accept it? It's that simple. It's that simple. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is what he's done. And this is what he's offering you. Will you accept it? And I hope that weighs heavy on you because it's important. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.